Live from Mexico City, this is The Late Late Show with Rich Wrigley. Okay, and good evening, everyone. We're live on The Late Late Show with me, Rich Wrigley. Tonight, we're going to be talking about advice to uh, science teachers, maths teachers, basically anyone in STEM, and you are either a newly qualified teacher or a PGC student or a training uh, training teacher, anything like that. So join me on The Late Late Show this evening for the next hour. Have fun. Oh, look, there's cake. I didn't realize this was a work meeting. Live from Mexico City, this is The Late Late Show with Rich Wrigley on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Late Late Show with me, Rich Wrigley. It is we. It is uh, four p.m. my time in Mexico. It is two uh, ten p.m. in the UK, and we are live. We're going to be talking this evening about advice for newly qualified teachers that st- uh, are teaching a STEM subject. I hate that word STEM. It always sounds a bit stupid, but basically any kind of like science, technology, engineering, or maths course. I mean, basically for a lot of us, design teachers, technology teachers, physics teachers, science teachers, maths teachers, essentially. Uh, But everyone else is welcome as well. You're more than welcome to stay. Uh, And please do text in with any questions. You can text in on the Podbean app right now, or you can follow us at TT Radio 2022 and message your questions there. Or you can even tweet at me at Rich Random Fizz. Some questions here. I've got a few pre-selected questions uh, for advice for NQT and PGC students. The first question is, why did you get into teaching? Um, So for those of you who don't know me, I'm a physics teacher. I'm also a head of uh, faculty or head of department. And I've been teaching internationally for about 10 years. And before that, I taught in the UK uh, for two years, plus my training year as well. Um, Why did I get into teaching? Well, before that, it was the mid-2000s or late to mid-2000s, and I was used to, uh, I was doing a degree in physics with space science and technology in the in at university, and I didn't really want to get into engineering. I didn't really want to get into aerospace or anything when I left, uh, when I left university. I was also a bit of a rudderless hippie. Not hippie, but I was definitely a bit rudderless, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, so I succumbed to peer pressure and how many of my mates? Yeah, I think, yeah, two of my, no, three of my mates had applied at the same university to do a PGCE in science education or in secondary science education. And also a couple of my mates had uh, in other courses had applied to do uh, primary education courses there. So I was like, oh, well, I know a lot of people already. Uh, So I might as well just stay here for another year and get another qualification, even if it's just a PGCE, Uh, not not just a PGCE, but even if it is, you know, like, even if I don't like teaching afterwards, I'll have another qualification, at least it could be useful for something else. And as you may have noticed, I like talking a lot. And when I was in my final year of university, I basically did two modules that basically allowed me to get a decent qualification from university in physics. And the first one was something called the Undergraduate Ambassadors course. Now, any students out there listening, I highly recommend you do the Undergraduate Ambassadors course. It was worth 10 credits for me out of, I don't know, 180 for the final year. And it's essentially that you spend six weeks, I think, or yeah, about six weeks going into school and you're a glorified teaching assistant, essentially. Um, you're, you go in and you help 
teach science lessons. Uh, I remember that the first lesson I was given to teach was from the person who was like in charge of it, a physics teacher. And he said, yeah, can you teach the photoelectric effect? Um, and looking back on it, I've still got my slides somewhere. That was the jankiest lesson I've ever taught about the photoelectric effect. I spent hours preparing like PowerPoint slides, preparing nice little animations. I even went into my old A-level physics books and found like good questions and things like that that I could ask and answer. And now when I teach it, I basically have a whiteboard pen and some revision booklets and teach it that way or oh, in any practical equipment or demos. Uh, so, yeah, very different to how I first started teaching it. But because of the undergraduate ambas uh, ambassador scheme, I really, really loved that course. It was really, really fun. It meant I actually got to do something a little bit different in my final year and kind of prepare me and give me an experience for the for the world of education, possibly. So unwittingly, I, I naively or not naively, I cynically picked it because I knew I would get a very high score in it um, because it was basically pass fail and it was 10 credits as opposed to five for all the other modules. So it was essentially five extra credits or something like that tacked on. Um, so I went in very cynically, but then I actually found that I really liked it. And I went into a, you know, a pretty average secondary school and things like that and got to see the ins and outs and, you know, the, the challenges of teaching teenagers and everything like that. So I really love that. After that as well, another course I did was something called Communicating Physics. And it was basically about giving presentations and teaching, uh, uh, teaching undergraduates about stuff you've already learned as well, which I really, really enjoyed. So with that kind of in the background, I went, you know what, let's go and teach physics a little bit. Let's let's at least do a PGC and see what happens. And so, and it was also meant that I didn't have to move cities or anything like that, because I would be in my say, the same city for the PGC course. So this is how slack I was in applying. I applied the day before the cutoff deadline. Um, I emailed the teacher that was like responsible for mentoring me during that ambassadorship just to see what would happen if he would write me a reference within six hours which was pretty slack <laughs> and then he was like yeah sure no problem and wrote me, a, wrote me a reference and i got onto the pgc course the following day i i did an interview but this was back then when if a physicist could uh could basically talk at you know, talk at someone and still look them in the eye, they were accepted onto a PGC course. Um, so yeah, I was accepted to PGC course and I, I spent a year training that way. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's basically how I got into teaching and it was because my mates were doing it as well. They'd already been accepted on the course and they were like, I was very much the slacker. Ironically, I am the last one out of all the PGC students uh, from those years ago still teaching so so the slacker that rucked up just thinking oh you know what this sounds like a laugh uh ended up having the longest career in education so i kind of screwed up in reverse there and i remember one really asinine thing someone asked it was and this is my first advice of target to nqt teachers uh, uh, nqt teachers but also pgc students if you enjoy teaching, you don't need to justify why that is or anything like that. Just enjoy teaching for the sake of it. The main question is, do you enjoy teaching? Is that the reason why you've got into it? Do you find that you're good at it or do you feel like you can improve or anything like that? If that's why, then just enjoy it and go for it. Please don't spend your first years panicking about all this, uh, like, you know, like pedagogically justifying why you're into teaching. Because I remember in my first placement school, which was a terrible school to be placed in, I won't name names, but a first placement school that I was in, we had this really sort of huggy feely kind of thing of like, okay, tell me two words 
why you wanted to become like in a in a training meeting for all the PGC students. We had something like some some hippie basically go, oh, so, so tell me in two words, why would you why did you want to become a teacher? Or why do you want to become a teacher? And like people were coming up with words like inspire, passion, like things like that. And I was like, I love talking about physics and I love teaching physics. I really like this, but I hate all of this kind of stuff. Just let me learn how to teach. That's the most important reason why I'm here. So my answer was, my two words was golden hello, <laughs> uh, which didn't go down royal, apparently, uh, saying golden hello. That was back in the days when the government actually gave a, a rat's um, about education. So they actually would pe give people go golden hellos. I did not get my golden hello uh, because they cut it off the following year. So cheers, uh, cheers, Boris and co, or cheers, Cameron. That was lovely. Well done. Um, not that I, not that you would you've lost my vote because I would never vote for you, but well done. So yeah, that's why I got into teaching basically because my mates were doing it. But I found it out. I found out eventually that I really enjoyed it. Um, I just really, yeah, I just really liked teaching. It was really really good fun. And you have to ask yourself: there are going to be lessons where you're going to go in and it's going to be stressful. It's going to be challenging. I'm not ashamed to say it, but there were some definitely some times where at the end of my PGC year, I would come home. I would be in tears and things like that. It is one of the most challenging things that you can you can ever undergo. And you, the best piece of advice I got from from my PGC year was not anything about sort of teaching styles or anything like that, but it was that you will learn so much about yourself by being with the students and by being with the children. <laughs> they will teach you so much about yourself that you didn't realize. Um, that's probably the most important thing that stuck with me on my PGC year. That and having to learn how to get up early, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I'm gonna sound really terrible here, but the the, theore the theoretical stuff that we would teach, and just for those of you who don't know, a PG when I did the PGC, we basically would have essentially the academic year split into, let's say, let's split into like, quarters i would say yeah four segments the first segment so like from september to maybe like october time something like that september to like mid-october would be a uh, theory and so you would be in university attending lectures uh, attending workshops and things like that on different you know uh, aspects of pedagogy basically you would have like generalized things for like all teachers but then you would be broken down into uh subject specific areas and things like that and i really like that when i first showed up because it wasn't and this is really unprofessional but it's it was an absolute dos and i'm sorry for saying that i sound really unprofessional but i remember very little of that um it was an absolute waste of time uh and i remember afterwards coming up with the phrase those who can't teach but those who can't teach, teach at the School of Education uh, because there was so much that was so ridiculously unrealistic. And looking back on it now, having colleagues that have done things like Teach First or graduate uh, GTP, the Graduate Teacher Programme, looking back on it for my own development, it would have been much better if I did something like that. I would have actually preferred doing something like Teach First or uh, it was called the GTP, the gra uh, Graduate Teacher Programme or something like that, where you're basically thrown into a school after qualifying and you learn on the job as you're going and you would have like theory and stuff as that so you would have like yeah one one segment of just like theory pedagogy this is how bad it was learning styles was still a thing learning styles was serious seriously a thing 
I got so like, and then afterwards realizing that it's all complete nonsense. That's how bad it was. I also remember that we had to. So at the end of, so I'll get onto that. So then you would have like, I'm just waffling now, aren't I? But so yeah, you would have like one section of theory. The other section would be, or the other section, so from like October to uh, maybe like the Christmas break. Uh, so like winter break, December time would be uh, in your first placement school. And you would have a very light timetable, like something like 10% of a normal teacher's timetable, something along those lines. It felt incredibly heavy back then, uh, but it's it, my heaviest day was now my is now my lightest day. Let's put it that way. Um, and then that that would be your first placement school, uh, and you would have formal observations. You'd have a mentor and things like that. And then you would repeat the process. You'd have another few after the winter break. You'd have a few more people in the university up until probably around from like January to February March time, and then you would have your last uh, placement school, uh, second placement school. Uh, at um, university. Now, I'm not going to name names. Uh, I learned a lot in the PGC course. I'm not going to name names of schools. I'm not even telling you the university that it was at for obvious reasons. Uh, my second school, my second placement school was a Catholic school. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm an atheist. I mentioned this in passing uh, to my PGC mentor. Uh, and the response was, oh, you're an atheist. We'll soon fix that. Uh, to which I was like, would would you say that to a Protestant or a Jewish person or a Muslim person or you know person of the Hindu, you know a Hindu person anything like that? So I was absolutely furious. We also uh, I was a tutor or took over a tutor group, and we had to I had to lead prayers for Pope Benedict, uh, the person who's in the news right now for covering up a load of abuse allegations. Yeah, that was the one. Uh, yeah, it was fun. Uh, all the f uh, sorry, so uh, Miss Scorches just texted and say, uh, "Bet that was fun." Yeah, the, what was even more fun was having having to watch an assembly about abstinence-only education. After which, I was very unprofessional, and I went to my science class and taught them proper sex education. That sounds really wrong, but the actual thing that we teach in Key Stage Three Science, of basically, you know, science and not made-up stories and wishes, basically. Anyway, so. Uh, to get how I survived, this is leading me into my first question. How did to survive your first year, either as a PGC or as an NQT student or teach first or anything along those lines? Uh, I would say, to be honest, have try and find. I think the best way I could say to survive your first year, particularly the PGC year, is, um, is have a cutoff point to go to sleep. <laughs> so I remember, so I, I lived in a, a flat with a few other trainee teachers. And I remember basically I kind of caught like as from my, uh, I kind of congealed for want of a better word around other people who were slackers like me for want of a better word, ironically were the ones still teaching. It's, say that, say what you will about that. Um, but we found that going to sleep at a reasonable hour was the most beneficial thing because obviously you have to get up early i think i had to get up at like not crazy early but like six o'clock in the morning something along those lines uh and you know commute to work things like that so obviously as a student for three years used to getting up at you know 10 o'clock going for a pint and then going for lectures you know all you know things like that getting up at six o'clock was a bit of a shock uh to <laughs> to the system so what i found that even if i hadn't fully planned everything that i thought i would have needed to get through the next day 
I would much rather start to go to bed and at least have some time watching TV or reading a book at 11. So I'd at least get some sleep and I'd be up for the next day. And then anything else, if it all goes wrong, it's gone wrong anyway. You can over plan way too much and there's never going to be. You can plan for every eventuality, but it's going to take you hours and then something will happen that you didn't account for anyway and it throws the plan out of the window. I remember my first lesson, I wrote my like one of my first lessons that was like solo teaching was like um it was something along the lines of having to oh what was it? Yeah, it was something along the lines of having to basically oh, what was the word I was going to say? Oh it, it was something like having to I, my lesson plan was something like a, a script, basically, that I was reading from. And I was so petrified. I was literally almost holding up my lesson plan, reading off it like a script. It was absolutely terrible. Um, and I obviously loads of things go went wrong and it just didn't really work. The second bit of advice I would say is don't like take the advice that your mentors are giving on board, but don't take it personally. And I think I was quite lucky because I had another physics teacher who just went, well, that was crap. And here's why it was crap. And here's how you're going to fix it. Like, you need to do this, 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 and this. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And someone actually told me, blunt, this is what you need. This didn't work. You need to fix this. This didn't work. You need to fix this kind of thing. And it worked really well. My practice got really, really good in my first placement. Um, I can't, you you get graded assignments and stuff, but my, my placements were always graded very well. Uh, and I think it was because I got blunt and honest feedback. The flip side of that was that I took that into my theory kind of lectures. And one of the things you have to do, I don't know if it's still the same on the PGCE, is you had to write two uh, like essays, essentially. And I think they're like 5,000 words plus or something like that. So not massive, but you know, definitely a fair chunk of work. And I remember I wrote like a physicist. So I remember writing things very blunt and to the point. And I remember one time writing in, in it going this lesson went bad well this lesson this lesson went terribly and then but afterwards i went here's why it went terribly and here's what i would do to fix the situation next time basically and i remember getting feedback afterwards going well you, you shouldn't have said it went terribly and for context the lesson was on a friday afternoon with year 10 a bottom set and i thought it would be a really good idea to make slime so that idea where you put like you put borax in with PVA and things like that, you can't do it anymore for safety reasons, um, thankfully. Um, and basically, I went, well, no, the lesson did went badly. I didn't lay out the equipment properly. Uh, the learning objectives weren't very clear. Uh, you know, I didn't behave and manage properly. I let people like grab the equipment. Things were all over the place. I think slime was on the ceiling at one point. So it was bad, but this is what I would do to fix it. And they went, no, 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 don't, don't say it, it went badly. And I was like, it did went badly. Like, I've just told you, like, really, like it went badly. Here's why. And they went, no, 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 don't say it went badly. Say it could have gone better. And I was like, oh, for f okay. And so I had to go back and fix things and put things in softly, softly, uh, kind of teacher language. And I was like, it really, really bugged me that kind of, I just want plain, like this didn't work. Here's why it worked kind of thing. So take people's advice on board. That was my my uh, next uh, sort of piece of advice for people. We are, well, actually, we've got another five minutes before we break for the news and everything along those lines. We've got time for another question. Please do text in with any questions that you have. Uh, also, you can tweet in as well uh, on the, uh, you can tweet in either directly to me 
uh, at Rich Random Fizz, uh, or you can tw- uh, tweet directly at TT Radio two two zero two two Teachers Talk Radio twenty twenty two, and use the hashtag TT Radio. Uh, anything was people can yeah. You know, please do text in anything along those lines. I don't know why I said anything along those lines. And fun fact, I've just actually been, <laughs> as you can probably tell, I've actually just been diagnosed with ADHD and I've just realized that two screens while you're trying to do a live show by yourself can be a bit of a distraction. So that's why I might stumble every now and then. So apologies for that. Anyway, that on a t- on terms of attention deficit and hyperactive disorder, one thing was how do you manage your time as a newly qualified teacher or a PGC student or anything along those lines. Uh, If you've done a science degree particularly, I will say, so that particularly physics, biology, chemistry or anything along those lines, you have got a massive advantage. And I'm going to say why. I'm going to paraphrase my my first mentor who said something along the uh, who said something to me that kind of made me feel um a little bit good about myself so apologies to my fellow professionals who aren't a stem teacher but he basically said to me so last year you had so many contact hours doing labs doing lectures doing seminars giving presentations and things like that so you've actually kind of learned to manage your time and you've got a huge advantage compared to other disciplines so and then he pointed to an english pgc student not the, the not physically, but like metaphorically, a, 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 another fellow PGC student who I who had done their degree at the same university as me. And they said, well, look at this English student, for example, uh, teacher. They probably only had one or two hours of contact time last week, last year. So they were very, very independent and they don't have as much structure. So you've got a massive advantage because you're used to getting to places on time. In theory, I I kept quiet about the fact that I used to skip a lot of lessons and things like that. But that is one advantage that as a science teacher, most likely a maths teacher or anything like that, that you have as well, that you're used to a lot of contact times. I would say in terms of time management, though, the best advice that I could give would be or how to successfully manage your time is going back to what I said and having a cutoff time. If having a cutoff time for any kind of work, a rest time, basically, but also having a cutoff time for certain activities. Let's put it this, the best way I can describe it, and there's a great video that I'll share on Twitter later by a famous YouTuber called CGP Grey, who you might have heard of. He was actually a physics teacher before he became a full-time YouTuber. And one of his very unknown videos is called Time Management Tips for Teachers. And if you're writing a lesson plan, or if you're writing an activity, or something along those lines, or, you know, a presentation, a worksheet, a booklet, whatever, if you've got to do that for the next day, and you have got, let's say, to simplify things, you've only got two classes the next day. If you spend all of your time producing a beautiful, absolutely beautiful revision booklet or activity or resource for one of those classes, and it was absolutely perfect, but it would take you twice, or it would take you the same amount of time to produce two lesson plans or resources or whatever that are okay and that are serviceable and that do the job and, you know, get the learning objectives across and everything like that, then it's better to spend less time making okay resources, okay? And just embrace that if this is okay, 
that's fine, especially in your first year. No one is expecting perfection because the problem is a lot of students, student teachers think that every resource needs to be perfect. And yes, of course, they should be of good quality. But a lot of people think that every resource needs to be perfect. And then what they'll do is they'll spend way too much time producing one resource or one activity or one lesson plan or whatever for one class. But then the problem is you've got that other class to prepare for. And if you've got that other class, it doesn't matter how good one of those resources is. If you've got nothing for the other thing, then you've got two options. You either rock up with nothing, which no one's going to do, or you spend more time and more of your energy working on those resources. So I would say embrace the okay. No no one is expecting perfection. Also, I remember when I was a student teacher, there there was almost like this kind of unwritten rule that everything had to be yours or that you had to make it. No, we're not. Yes, of course, I love making resources now and I love making good quality resources. Hint, check out my website, The Random Physicist, for any physics teaching resources and revision booklets that I love making, all free, okay? Um, But you will not steal something. That's absolutely fine. Take something else. That's absolutely fine. The best website, what used to be the best website, was the TES, TES TES.co.uk. You can download resources, a lot of them for free. They used to be all free in my day, and then they started charging things. Uh, But also, check out other people on Twitter as well. There are some fantastic, uh, if you just basically type in Science Edu Twitter, there are some fantastic resources uh, resources and conversations that you can find. And if you're a physics teacher, check out Chat Physics. The handle Chat Physics is a group of physics teachers that share resources and ideas with each other. We have online conferences and things like that. There's also chat biology and chat chemistry as well to work that are definitely worth checking out. But yeah, steal things. Don't you know, as long as you don't claim it was yourself, what people are looking for in your first year is not how beautiful a worksheet is that you create created or how amazing a booklet is. What they're looking for is that you have the skills to be a teacher, that they're looking for behavior management, that they're looking for your rapport with the students, they're looking for your subject knowledge and your explanations. That comes inherently, not from a, not from reading off a PowerPoint or be- presenting th- some things. They're looking for how you assess students' progress and things like that as well. And ideas like that you can steal and resources like that you can steal. Absolutely, it's not even stealing, it's sharing. That's the best way I can describe it. It's not stealing, it's sharing, okay? Obviously, if you've been asked to prepare something by yourself, that's fine, but it's not the, it should not be the expectation for that to be so often or, you know, so for every single lesson. OK, anyway, we're going to pause there for a quick commercial break for the news and for the uh, tech tips as well. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full, free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. 
The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Colin's Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. An all-boys school in St Albans has had its hair and dress codes scrapped by headteacher Julie Richardson, who took up her role last September. Previously, students could be sent home from the Hertfordshire School if their hair was deemed to be extreme in style, colour or length. Ms Richardson is now urging other schools to rethink their uniform policy. She said, It is utter madness to be taking children out of class, away from learning, just because their hairstyle does not fit in with archaic ideas on dress. It is my view that these rules, inadvertently or not, target students of colour and are not inclusive and discriminatory. This is not the type of school I would like to attend, work in or lead, which is why we have removed all reference to hair in our uniform policy. We want our boys to embrace how their hair grows. Former Education Secretary Gavin Williamson has been accused of threatening to withdraw funding for a school in Bury after a former Tory MP considered voting against the government. According to a report for Sky News, Christian Wakeford, who recently defected to the Labour Party, had previously said that he was warned that funding for a new secondary school would be withdrawn if he voted for a motion criticising the government over free school meals. The vote took place in October 2020. In response, Mr Williamson said, I don't have any recollection of the conversation as described, but what I do remember is working tirelessly with Christian and others to deliver this school, which I did. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we're going to take a look at teaching online. Marmite comes to mind when I think about teaching online. I actually like it, but it's my job and I'm surrounded by gadgets to assist me. A lot of teachers hate it. If you think about it, for 90% of the current population of teachers, delivering a lesson online is something they've not even been trained in. They signed up to be in the classroom with a group of pupils. I'm not going to go into the depths of the delivery platform. That's normally a choice that's already made for you by technology leaders in schools. I'm going to give you a couple of free tools that work in a browser, so don't need installing and can be used for engagements in the classroom and easily adapted to use online. First up, we all love Kahoot. Did you know you can set a Kahoot to be self-paced rather than live? Simply click the assign button and you have an instant self-paced quiz for a homework, a starter or a progress check. If you need to take it online, share the link and off you go. If you use lots of YouTube clips and websites, check out Wakelet. 
Share collections of links in a meaningful way, for free. My favourite use for this is to group my YouTube clips for topics. Not only are they played back with less distractions, but I can share a group of links for revision or to flip a lesson. Again, if I have to teach online, one link can lead to many. Just remember to check your school's policy on using websites such as YouTube for online teaching. If you have access to devices in the classroom, why not try Mentimeter? Create interactive presentations, take votes or build word clouds from participants' answers to improve engagement, assess learning and inspire discussion. Or, if you love whiteboard, try whiteboard.fi. As a teacher, you can see all your classes' whiteboards and answers, know who's interacting and who's not. You can even show a QR code for ease of joining. I could go on and on. The idea is to test these things out when you're with your class and there's no pressure. Then, should you need to teach online, you'll feel more comfortable, there'll be fewer issues, and most importantly, you'll see if pupils are engaging. I hope you consider bringing a bit of tech into your classroom. As always, please test things work in your setting before you use them. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. And we're back. Thanks for that. We are. I absolutely love listening to that. I absolutely love whiteboard.fi. It's really, really good, especially if you're a maths teacher or anything like that. I would strongly recommend if you're going to use whiteboard.fi, um, it's all free to use. I would strongly recommend that you get a drawing tablet of some kind. Uh, the one I use is a very bog standard uh, drawing tablet. It's called, It's a Wacom. It's like the entry level model. It's basically a stylus and a big sort of mouse pad essentially so like imagine so basically imagine like the trackpad on a laptop it's that but about the size about the size of a, a paperback book or a little bit bigger um doesn't need any batteries or anything like that just plugs in by usb it's plug in and play it works on my work laptop so i, I didn't have to format anything i didn't need to install any drivers just plugged it in and it worked like a mouse really really good takes a little bit of getting used to in terms of drawing because it's it's kind of like a cursor hovering over but so much better than uh trying to draw with a mouse or anything like that it's absolutely you know much much better highly recommend that also if you're a science teacher primarily biology chemistry or physics i'm afraid um you would have uh if you're sick of cahoots i i don't like cahoots i hate i hate the music i'm triggered by the music uh I don't make any cahoots and often I find that a lot of the questions are incorrect or misleading so I don't like them um, so I have to like spend a lot of time searching for them also when you're in a class I find that students take forever to join the things um, it's like oh no wait 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 and things like that and it's, it's just too faffy for me but one thing for independent work that I really really like uh, especially for homeworks is a website called grade gorilla um, just type in grade gorilla uh, it's a load of online multiple choice questions that are self-marking uh, they're timed as well so students there's mini quizzes and longer quizzes I think the mini quizzes are timed at 10 minutes and the longer quizzes like 15 minutes or something like that and basically it's free to use um, and students can go back and check their answers and try again, basically. So they can look at their first attempt and their second attempt. Uh, normally, what I just asked them to do, we've been doing a hybrid model here at the moment in, in Mexico. Uh, I've asked is like independent work. Send me a screen grab of your first attempt and then send me a screen grab of, uh, you know, like after a second or third attempt to show improvement kind of thing. Really nice, all free, uh, really straightforward. So that's great, Gorilla. That was the other piece of tech I really like. Uh, the other thing I would recommend as well, is if you're teaching from home for a long time, really invest in a second screen. Now I've got a janky, it's called Skepta. I thought, I thought that was a disease. Uh, anyway, something really cheap that was like 50 quid or something like that, 50, 40 quid off of Amazon. 
it's and it's basically just got a VGA output and an HDMI output. I use it as a second monitor for my Mac, uh, but I've also got it hooked up to you know like some of in my office a couple of like uh, games consoles and things like that, so I can use it for gaming as well. Really nice, really really cheap. Picture quality is okay, but it makes a heck of a lot of difference if you're le learning on Zoom or things like that. You can have the Zoom window over there, and then you can have on the on your main monitor, on your laptop's monitor, other things that you're looking at as well. Uh, so yeah, that's that's really really useful. Also, if you've got an iPad, uh, if, you, if you've got an uh, a Mac, or I'm sorry, any Apple product, basically, there's software that you can use, and you've got a, an iPad. Uh, there's software that you can use to make an iPad a second screen that plugs in via USB. Uh, I think I paid about two free pounds for the for the app online and it just plugs in through my firewire port to my ipad mini my ipad mini is like the second generation i bought it in 2015 and it was it was new but it was going out of date then works perfectly no glitches it's really really nice i've actually used it as a third screen because yeah i'm that kind of guy uh so yeah those are some kind of uh, other tech tips that i find really really useful get a drawing tablet, especially if you're a maths teacher. If you need to handwrite anything, like formulas or anything like that, get a drawing tablet. I still use it now when we're back in school. Uh, I found it really, really useful for going over exam papers and showing workings and writing on things like that. So yeah, anyway, uh, this is The Late Late Show with Rich Wrigley. We've got another 25 minutes or so for the, for the rest of the show. Uh, and we're talking today about advice for newly qualified teachers, uh, early ECTs. This is how out of the UK I've been, but ECTs, early career teachers, but also training teacher, trainee teachers, PGC students and things like that. Uh, got, <laughs> please do text in with your questions. Uh, Someone's just texted in on Twitter, not ba oh, sorry, just, someone's just tweeted in and said, is everyone finding behavior has taken a massive dip? Uh, yeah, a little bit. That happens, <laughs> especially now. We have to remember as well that this time of year, I would say, is where the year sevens get cheeky. I call it the cheeky phase for the year sevens because I think they've realized that secondary school is not as scary as they think it is. They're starting to push, push and see what they can get away with, basically. So... In terms of that, in terms of behavior, the most important thing is to remember that you're consistent with your school's behavior policy, that you set clear expectations and that you are fair throughout uh, your applying of the of the of the rules. And you don't need to yell uh, like, you know, you can you can raise your voice slightly and there's ways of sort of intonating that imply that you are wanting to things, but make the most important advice I got was from a teacher in my first placement school and say, you may appear like you are being firm or maybe angry on the outside, but don't get angry on the inside because if you do, then it's a very difficult thing to turn back. Um, and my students will say that I don't yell. Like they, I have clear expectations of my students, but I don't yell at them. <laughs> and, but that's a really, I think that's a really important thing. Okay. So yeah, does it get better? So uh, that kind of leads us to, does it get better over time? Yes, it does get better. Um, I would say that make sure that when you're applying for jobs that you have a school, um, that you apply for, for jobs that are supportive, uh, especially of NQTs, look at what the ECT program is uh, for uh, for teachers, what, what kind of ask, what kind of pro uh, progression options there are, uh, what kind of progression of, previous ECTs or newly qualified teachers have uh, have experienced essentially uh, along those lines as we're going as you're going along uh, and that leads me to a couple more things uh, some people have said what about advice for applying for a job well you the good news is you've got plenty of time I think I I think I got my job in my first teaching job in like March or April something along those lines um if you're a science teacher in particular or a maths teacher you'll most likely be in high demand so that there is an advantage that you can kind of 
pick and choose what you would like to apply for, basically, as well. Um, there was some advice that I got that I re- that really worried me, and I, I, I really wanted to sort of pass on the opposite of that advice. And I remember during our like sort of second phase of lectures, uh, like so, basically around January time, uh, when we we'd done our first placement we'd done like one round of lectures and now this was like the second round of lectures. It was going to, we had towards the end of that sort of term. So around February time advice on applying for jobs. And some of it was useful. Um, but one, one piece of advice I got that really didn't sit right with me was something that saying that basically if you're offered a job there and then you need to say yes or no there and then during, essentially during the interview or, or, or during the, essentially while you're on site and I, I that really didn't sit well with me to be honest and you're well within your right to say look I'm still very interested but I need to think this over okay uh, this is somewhere where you're going to be working at for uh, you know if things go well it could be many many years you know even if, if you move on to other places it still could be a year or two years you know something along those lines so that is a fair chunk of time that you're going to be at some be somewhere and I think there is this kind of pressure put on newly qualified teachers in particular to say yes to a job straight away without really thinking about it. OK, without really thinking about it. And so I would say if someone says, look, w- would you be in a position to make, you know, to accept an offer right now? Obviously, be polite, but just say, look, you know what? I need to think about certain things. So for me, I said, like, look, you know what? I need to think about certain things. Can I let you know? And then give a time frame, say, would I be able to let you know? by this evening or you know I'd like to sleep on it and just think about things can I let you know by tomorrow morning or something along those lines you're well within your right to say that and I hope that the person that gave me the opposite advice during my PGC lectures was an exception and not the rule I really really hope that that's not still the culture but you are well within your right to think things over this is somewhere and when you're thinking about things think about first off you know what progress what progression opportunities are there for you what developmental opportunities are there for you what kind of what what's the nqt program like and things things along those lines but also towards during your interview remember it is a two-way streak and there are when i have applied for jobs there are jobs that i have turned down and i'm not just saying this as well there were during my nqt year or sorry during my pgc year there was a job that i was applied for and asked whether i would be interested yes or no and I asked to think about it and I decided to turn it down and I actually got a different job instead. Um, you're well within your right to do that. OK, it doesn't make you a troublemaker or anything like that. It is absolutely reasonable to do it. And to be honest, as someone who employs people now as a head of faculty, I would much rather someone think about it and tell me, you know what, this job isn't for me after a day than for us to both find out six months or nine months down the line that this isn't a good fit, that the school isn't a good fit for you, okay? That, and that, then that you would be leaving at the end of the year or whatever, because at the end of the day, I'd still have to hire someone and I'd much rather hire someone who would be the best fit for the school. And remember, it's a two-way streak as well. An inter- and it sounds so cliche, but an interview is a two-way streak. If you don't have a good feeling about the school, there might be a reason behind that, okay? Um, and so like one of the reasons why I didn't take that job was because I knew that my line, my line manager was quite rude to me or my, my would be line manager was very rude to me during the application process. And I thought, well, if this is how he talks to me during the interview process, how is he going to talk to me 
after when I'm when when he's my line manager. And so I thought, you know what? No, there was a few warning signs there. Okay, um, so you're well within your right to say no. Yeah, and you're well within your right to ask for time. Obviously, be reasonable. You know, a day, two days at the max, I would say, but it's absolutely fine. We do the same thing when we're. I'm currently interviewing for people right now as a head of faculty, and we do the exact same thing. We let people. You know, people. We. You know, no one is thinking. Oh, they're being funny about it or anything like that. Uh, if people ask for a bit of time to think things over, you're absolutely within your right to ask those kind of things. Um, in terms of other things for applying for a job, um, I can't really think of anything else that's. Um, uh, that springs to mind or anything that's essential. Um, but yeah, just make sure it is a two-way streak. One one piece of advice that people said, and I don't know if this is doable because of safeguarding reasons. Don't worry, it sounds it sounds worse than it is. Um, but it's just, you know, walk, being able to walk around the school. Like most likely you'll have a tour of the school and things like that. But is there, in the, you know, are you able to have a have a little walk around the school unattended obviously you know for safeguarding reasons that might not be possible but you know to get a feeling of the school try and have a look around and look into different classes and see what the behavior is like see what the what the you know what the the atmosphere is like Go, sit in the staff room that's my best option as well you'll get a really really good feeling of of people from sitting in the staff room as well uh, and just seeing like what people are like if the staff room's like a buzz of energy and things like that and solutions that's probably a good place to to work in if there's a if it's a lot of negativity remember well you're going to be spending your lunches there maybe it's not the place for you and things like that but that that's pretty much a general thing uh, that I would suggest. Anyway, you're listening to The Late Late Show with me, Rich Wrigley, this afternoon. Uh, we'll talk, we've just had the news and just one thing that sprung to me, just one thing that sprung to mind while we were talking, while the news was playing was the uh, the piece about uh, hair lengths and things like that being removed or hair length, hair, like uniform requirements for uh, male hair at, un uh, at a secondary school. I think it's a really good idea. I actually worked, the school I worked at in Brazil had uh, quite a famous, um, quite a famous attendee, uh, and I taught who I taught, and it was uh, son of one of the Rolling Stones, for want of a better word. You can figure out who that is. Um, and I remember we had a very strict policy. It was almost draconian of hair for boys has to be shoulder length. And this child, who was he was in a he was in his teenage years, but this child had basically said uh, he had quite long hair, and his. And one of the SLT members came to him and went, came to his tutor and went, you know, such and such is, has got very long hair. You, can you ask him to cut it? For, and the tutor just went, so you want me to go to the son of one of like the fathers of counterculture and ask him to cut his hair? No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, but uh, they would also they would have people checking hair length and things like that and sending people home. It was ridiculous. Wasted so much time. And the worst and the most stupid thing. Sorry, I'm going to say a stupid thing was basically they had like razors on site for boys so that they could shave. And I was like, it's absolute waste of time. Pedagogically speaking, that is bat s crazy is the best way I can describe it. Um, yeah, I'm fully supportive of it, um, to be honest. It really bugs me when people say uniform is is a marker for good behavior because it isn't. Um, I've taught in schools where they've not had uniform and behavior has been terrible. And I've also taught in two schools where they do have uniform, where they don't have uh, where they don't have uniform and the behavior has been excellent. I've taught in one school that was probably considered one of the best schools uh, I've taught at internationally. And the behavior was abysmal. 
um, and it, they had very, very strict uniform rules. Uh, and the other schools that I've worked at here internationally where you don't have uniforms, the behavior is very good. So there's no correlation between that. It's almost like it's a non sequitur. But yes, anyway, so we're here listening to The Late Late Show this evening with me, Rich Wrigley. We're talking about advice for newly qualified teachers. And this is very much an old man rambling point of the, st of the show. Um, I really hope my advice has been useful, particularly because I you know, started training to be a teacher 10 years ago. Um, the other thing I would say is don't worry about doing a master's just yet. Um, I haven't got a master's, uh, funnily enough. I'd love to get a master's. I'd like to get a master's in physics. Um, but don't worry about doing a master's just yet. If you've got one, great. Or if your course offers it, absolutely fantastic. Go for it. Um, to be honest, I went, uh, me and basically all the other physicists, it was funny that all the physicists figured this um, uh, other physicists figured this out basically but basically when we started applying uh, when we when we were doing the pgc we realized that we would have to do extra work to get like 30 credits worth of a master's not an actual master's just 30 credits towards a master's um and we were like well why no i just want my pgc just give me that please um so i did the bare minimum to get the pgc which meant less work for me i could focus on my lesson planning and things like that and uh it turned out afterwards as well that they had to the the university had to basically say so you know those 30 credits that count towards a master's uh, they only count to, they're only actually 10 credits towards a master's and there was absolute uproar i remember feeling very very smug at that point so don't worry, don't worry about doing a master's unless you feel like it's for you. OK, you can worry about that like five years down the line, three, four years down the line when you want to look at, you know, progressing or improving your teaching and things like that. But it's not something you don't have to worry about right now. We just got a comment on Twitter and you can uh, tweet in at TT Radio 2022. Uh, we're doing we're told doing training. We're told during training it's unacceptable to not accept on the spot that we should have withdrawn before the point of offer. That I can't swear for people teaching in, but that is absolute rubbish. I've not done that. I got my job as well afterwards, okay? I wasn't blacklisted or anything like that. I had the No, it's absolutely unacceptable in my opinion. You are well within your right to ask to sleep on it. And I'll give you an example about this as well. Um, I, I was very fortunate a few years ago to have an interview for Lego Education. It was while I was teaching in my first place in Mexico. Um, and I was very fortunate because they flew me out from Mexico uh, to see if they were uh, to, to interview along with my now wife, but fiance at the time. They said, it's a family decision. That's why we're bringing your, your fiance out because we want to make sure you're both happy here. Okay. And they would give me a bit of time to think about it Fortunately, I didn't get the job. I didn't have enough experience, but that's the kind of principle that you want. OK, um, we've got another uh, comment on Twitter here as well. Uh, I've always found it strange that candidates for teaching jobs are expected to accept the job offer on the spot. And also the interviews can't easily be rescheduled if they clash with other interviews taking place at another school. Yeah, that's weird. I've not seen that as well. To be honest, I don't think I would have my nose put out of joint if someone asked to reschedule an interview. Um, as long as I was given sufficient notice and, you know, it was with like, you know, people were very upfront about that. I personally wouldn't think that was a problem. But yeah, just to reiterate that. And this is someone who's not just saying it because they've said it. I did it. You are absolutely within your right to say, you know what? I need to think about this a little bit. OK. And 
it was the best decision I made. I'm really, really glad I did that because I think I, it let me get into international teaching as well afterwards. I'm, I'm a, the other school I worked at was in the UK was for a couple of years, but it it gave me the skills and the experience to to have the confidence to apply for jobs abroad. You are absolutely within your right to say, you know what, I need to think about this a little bit. Okay, obviously there's tone and ways of saying it, but can you just say, look, I really like the school. However, I need to think about this a little bit more and see if it's the right fit for me. And you know. It really bugs me that PGC teachers say, uh, PGC lecturers say that you're expected to answer on the spot. Um, because to be honest, as an employer, as someone who would employ, like, or like, not an employer, but someone responsible for hiring a team and get putting together a team, I would much rather have someone who has had the time to think about it and make an informed decision and then say yes, than someone who felt pressured into saying yes or saying no. I don't think that's appropriate. Um, and to be honest, it's not how international teaching is done. Uh, it's absolutely not how international teaching is done. Um, uh, I remember for my first job in, how I was interviewed for my first job in Mexico was that, and, and it's, this has probably changed a lot because of COVID, but I was asked to um, go to one of the sister schools and teach a lesson. Uh, so one, one of the, it was a basically a school in London that had other branches around the world. Uh, so you would either be expected to go in and teach like a lesson at a sister school. Some schools in, in like Europe, for example, my school in Germany would have people fly out uh, and teach a lesson, uh, especially obviously pre-COVID and, and pre-Brexit and things like that. Uh, and the job that I accepted in Mexico, the first job I accepted in Mexico, I, I was asked for like an interview and it was at like a sort of a, uh, conference place, like one of those portable offices type places. Uh, and the interview went really well. And we, we were talking about like educational philosophy. I didn't actually have to teach a lesson that time because sometimes it's kind of hard, but people ask for examples of lessons and, and what you would do in certain situations. And I just remember being interviewed by the head of school and the head of secondary, uh, who had both flown out from Mexico and just really clicking. Uh, and in fact, the head of school is someone I still really, really respect and have got an absolute load of time for. Um, and the closest I got to pressure was from that that school. And they basically said, like, OK, well, we're going to be th we're, we're going to go think about this. Uh, like obviously, the interviews and things like that. We've got a few more candidates coming in today. Um, we're looking to make an offer today. How, uh, today, would you be in the position uh, to, you know, if we call you up in six hours or like, you know, in, in, you know, in the afternoon or in the evening, would you be in the position to make a decision? And you know what? I think I said yes, because I really knew I wanted the job. Uh, I, but I know that if I had said, you know what, I need a little bit more time as well. People would be like, you know what, that's fine. Take the day or whatever like that to think about it. Um, a lot of things we do as international teachers, as well as sort of send out guides for living abroad, uh, what the contract looks like, all of those kind of things, what the what the remittance package is, all of those kind of things. Um, so, yeah, it really, really bugs me that people... Uh, university lecturers expect uh, kind of drill in this fallacy that you're expected to say yes on the go um i've done i didn't blackball myself by saying no <laughs> or saying i need a little bit more time and it allowing people to have the evening to think about it at least is not unreasonable when this is something that you're going to be work you know a place you're going to be working at for a couple of years um so and as someone who hires people i'd rather have people in the right the right fit that makes way more sense so yeah uh to be honest 
bearing in mind that that same lecturer was talking about learning styles for me, who said that you need to accept uh, a job there on the spot. I would take, I would sort of take their advice with a pinch of salt, uh, to be honest. So I'm really, I'm really sorry people are still being pressured uh, to do that because it's really important that people find the right fit. Um, and yeah, actually, you know what? When I applied for my job in Germany, they were in a position to make me an offer. Obviously, I was interviewing online, um, but I was concerned about the cost of living because I, I just moved. I was moving from Brazil. I knew the teaching abroad in Latin America, for example, the uh, accommodation is provided for. Uh, health insurance is part of the the package and things like that. Um, you know, it's not it's not as extravagant as maybe places like the the Middle East or places like that where they give you a you know really really good package. But the package is very reasonable, very very fair. I don't have to pay rent here, for example. And I knew moving to Germany that it would be more like teaching in the UK. I would be expected to pay for pay for my own accommodation and find my own accommodation. And also I was worried about the cost of living, like supermarkets, utilities, all of those kind of things. Um, so when I applied for my job in Germany, they, they were offering me and I was like, look, yes, I am really interested, but I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if I can afford to live there as the sole earner or the sole breadwinner or whatever in in. Uh, for me and my wife, because my wife won't be able to work just yet while we're sorting out her visas and things like that. And they basically, I, I basically said, could you give me like an example of a paycheck, a breakdown of the cost of living and things like that? You know, how much is an apartment expected to be? You know, how much am I able to put away? How much is health insurance? All of these kind of things. And the head of the head of HR gave me basically a blank paycheck. <laughs> Sounds really dodgy, but basically gave me like, here's an example paycheck with like all the deductions and things like that. And I even asked certain things like I remember asking, oh, what's this weird tax? I've got all the rest, but I don't quite understand what this 40 euros of tax is going to be. And it turned out it was the reunification tax that everyone living in former West Germany pays to uh, former East Germany to help. Uh, with like infrastructure and things like that we still have to we still have to pay it still oh it really bugs me um especially when east germans all vote afd uh, it really really bugs me anyway uh so yeah I, I was asking that back and forth and i took a couple of days to think about it to see if it was actually reasonable and i'd be able to afford to live there um because there's no point me going over there if i'm not able to like you know live you know not, i'm not expecting to live in a lavish lifestyle but i want to make sure that i'm able to you know, support people, you know, support my family and things like that. So yes, you're absolutely well within your right to ask those kind of questions. And you're absolutely well within your right to uh, to ask for a little bit of time to think it over. No, and to be honest, as someone who hires people or someone who's responsible for interviewing, no one's going to think less of you. In fact, I would respect you more for it, that you're wanting to make a rational decision. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry people have to go through that. Anyway, on that note, it's been an hour. It's 11 o'clock where you are. You're tired. I'm going to go get a tequila. Uh, no, I'm only kidding. But it is the, well, tequila, it's a late, it's a work meeting. It's fine. Bring your own booze. Anyway, this has been The Late Late Show with me, Rich Wrigley. Thank you for tuning in this evening. It's been absolutely pleasure listening to you all. Uh, please do uh, tune in same time next week. Uh, until then, have a good one. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio.